0: All right, Johnny. All right, Tyler. You like you too, don't you? Indeed I do. Then you might like Kick by In Excess.
1: So, as the strains of Need You Tonight die away, it's my pleasure to welcome you to the third episode of Tummel, or Then You Might Like, the new hit series by Review 2, in which we look at albums... That are not you too. It's an interesting concept. What have we got this week, Tyler? Uh, this week,
0: uh, we're going all the way back to 1987, mm. uh, October the 12th, 1987, and it's In Excess's sixth album. Now, the two bands we've done already, Coldplay and Travis, uh, we did the debut album from Coldplay, mm-hmm. Parachutes, and then was it, was it three or four? Uh, the third one third one, it's the travis th- it's the third one so this is this is going quite far into a career yes although in excess
1: although i think what you're arguing or maybe the way you presented this to me when we were considering what albums we're going to do is this is one of if not the most recognizable and sort of big hitting in excess album kick has got songs which as someone who doesn't know very much about in excess I knew at least two of these songs quite well before we started this process, so yeah. it seems like an obvious choice. Even though it's quite far on in their career, it seemed like a really good album to do, and I'm really glad you picked it as well.
0: Yeah, it it is one of those. It's one of those big '80s albums which you really can't ignore. If you see um, those annoying lists and those arbitrary lists that come out at the end of each decade, you know the mm. best hundred best albums of the '80s or hundred best albums of the century. This is an album that is always very highly rated. Particularly in that '80s period, it's one of the these the seminal albums from the '80s, mm. and there were a lot of big hits on there. there were a lot of singles on there as well. Yeah. But to add to your point, I don't know if this album or Listen Like Thieves, which was the the preceding album, mm. I don't know which you know is 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 more highly regarded. Listen Like Th- uh, Like Thieves was really the album that broke in excess in, into an international market in a really big way they'd obviously had success in in australia that's where that's where they came from and that's mm. where they built the the the, the fans and the, the, the fan base and um they they were really they were really big in in australia sorry for a very long time and it took it took some time for them to really get known in europe and then breaking it big in america so this album really comes at a time where they've they've made it they've had one big album Mm. worldwide and then this is the follow-up
1: yeah no so if we were going to make really really poor just very general big comparisons maybe uh listen like thieves is the josh retreat and this one is more acting baby like this is where they maybe build upon that previous success take it out even further it's a poor analogy but You know, there's those two big albums and you could argue the toss either way over which one is the bigger album. I don't know if this is the Rattle and Hum. Really? Yeah, in terms... It's not bloated and full of stupid live versions. No,
0: but just in terms of, um, you know, really riding that wave of success after the Joshua Tree. Yeah. I think this might be more Rattle and Hum
1: than than Acton Baby
0: it's hard to compare bands like that. Yeah,
1: well, in any case, let's not let's not labour this too much. Should we talk about some U2 connections? That's what we usually do at the start here. What connections, because we're obviously going to be taking across some listeners from Review 2, what connections do NXS have with U2? What kind of things could we point to and say, this is not a silly album to do for Tummel? Okay, well, you go
0: back, uh, go on YouTube and watch some live shows of In Excess from the early 80s. Mm. You'll see Michael Hutchence dressed very similar to a certain hero of ours. Yeah. And a more
1: attractive version of Bono, It, it, yeah. it is, it,
0: it is a more attractive... I think, I think Bono, when he was 18, was, was quite an attractive man. Yeah. But, but Michael Hutchins He is the, the epitome hey, of rock I, and roll, I'm isn't straight, he? straight, but Michael Hutchins does weird things to me, which I can't really <laughs> explain and maybe I shouldn't <laughs> divulge on it on a podcast that's being broadcast all around well, the world.
1: Sexuality is a spectrum, um, but uh, yeah,
0: he they did dress very similarly, and the the way they play music, there's a certain energy that if mm. if you go back and watch Red Rocks, for example, from U2, and then you, you I think there's a, a one from Berlin about 1984 within excess, mm. and the dance moves that that Bono and and Hutch use very yeah. very very similar i think hutch got better at dancing whereas bono stayed the same but as he said on the milan dvd irish people can't dance
1: well possibly take that michael flatly that's from bono not me <laughs> well certainly bono can't and he got more into dad dancing whereas hutch just seemed effortlessly well wow, that was a hard word to say effortlessly did it bad, try and put again. some effort in trying in saying that word he is a consummate <laughs> performer, okay, right? He's a, he's a very good dancer. And um, I'd say when we talk about rock and roll figures like Jim Morrison, I think Hutch has got that absolute archetype of a rock star down. Um, yeah. In terms of Bono, we also have the connection to Stuck in a Moment, which obviously was written in in a way as an argument that Bono wishes that he had with Hutch. It's, a, it's an argument between old friends that he wishes he could have conducted and felt guilty about never really properly confronting Hutch for having. Now I don't know how much um how close they were, but there's obviously that big connection on the um Boston DVD, there is the moment before Gone where Bono says Hutch. And I never used to know what that meant because I wasn't really aware of in excess at all. So that explains passion. that. What
0: a lot of passion in that.
1: Yeah, and I mean, that's obviously a fantastic version. Yeah. And I think the rock star lifestyle that the song Gone is all about could apply in in some measure to um, in excess. And the thing is, I don't know very much about Michael Hutchins and that's actually quite good for me because I know there's a lot of kind of controversy around his death and all of the um, stories that went along with uh, romantic affairs and, drug and uh, drugs and alcohol and all that other kind of thing. So what I've got is a... An album that does have connections to you two, but I'm able to take on its own merits and see as the kind of fun um I don't know raucous album that it then it really is yeah and that's what
0: I really wanted when we discuss in excess obviously when you talk about Michael Hutchinson's this huge tragedy at the end of his life and I don't I don't want this this podcast and and I'd like that in, in excess to be remembered. You know, for the fantastic career that they had. Mm. And there were six pieces as well. Yeah, for such a long time. Um, You know, a band that formed in high school, they they went from success to success to success, they toured around the world, they they headlined and sold out Wembley a number of times. Mm. And it's just... I don't think people think of In Excess the same way these
1: days it's kind of they kind of lost or you know locked away in the treasure trove of the 80s i've got to say i know very little about them apart from the two songs on this album that i already knew really little about them
0: they, they i mean the music still gets played um i think 80 stations couldn't really survive if they didn't play the music of, of, in excess but I was going to ask you, for for you, because you really don't know that much about NXS. I don't know that much about NXS, but I like NXS and have done for a yeah. while.
1: I mean, we can put our usual disclaimer. Just to, just <laughs> we to, know nothing. Yeah, we know nothing about, about <laughs> these. I mean, you know, comparative to our sort of scant knowledge of U2, we know very little about these bands. It's just simply a way for me and Tyler to talk about our reactions and our feelings. So if you're an NXS fan and this is your first taste of, of Review 2 in any sort of way... You know this is what it is. This is us just talking about reactions. to this. This is two, this is two people
0: still discovering, you know, the uh, still discovering in excess and yeah, but uh, I, all I the think the hidden gems. Yeah, but, but for you, yeah, go on. Uh, in the scape of music, um, 2019, who are in excess? And you know, what do they mean? You know, what's your impression of it? Basically,
1: hmm, um, they're fun. I mean that the one thing I would say about this album is it feels like people trying to have fun and trying to write hits. You know, um, I feel like there's a huge energy to this album, and it's very very well balanced. Um, I can't really think of many analogies because I think I rock music, at least today, is is very very dull and dry in a lot of places. There are certain um, certain areas where it's still great, but you wouldn't get an album made like this with a sort of carefree abandon. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying these songs aren't crafted they're really well crafted but there's an energy to them there's a looseness to them and there's a variety to them which I think is really sorely lacking I think you know bands like the Chili Peppers um, you know for the past few years have been trying to make stuff that maybe sounds a bit like this and pretty much failing so I don't know if you ask me the question what is in excess an enigma to me to be honest apart from the I mean
0: because I have to question been a fan and having Known about NXS for a few years and listening to the uh, little bits of the music here and there. It's like if you ask me about David Bowie, I know where David Bowie, you know, stands. If you're gonna do a Mount Rushmore of you know of music, mm-hmm. like I have a I have a fairly good idea of who I'd put on that Mount Rushmore. Yeah. But out, outside of that, there there's this there's like a lot of seventies and eighties and nineties bands which were really huge at the time. Yeah. Really influential, but then went away.
1: Yeah. For one reason or another. And they dominated that's one thing I do know about this. They did dominate the charts for a long time. Yeah. And had very, very successful singles um a long time after the initial release. Um mm. I mean, do you have any figures on excess on and how well they, they got on? I know we're gonna do our top ten in a moment or two, but um... uh well we normally do this bit at the end
0: after our review, but uh I do have some facts and figures. Uh so Kick is the best selling album. Uh, uh, with sales
1: approaching twenty million worldwide, yeah,
0: that's as of two thousand twelve. So I, I suspect it's
1: over twenty million by now. Well, and this always reminds me of you know when you um when you hear about old television shows like Only Fools and Horses or something, you forget because there wasn't that variety. There was an incredible sort of ubiquity about the people who actually were around. So you know these songs got played. People bought these albums. At one point in time, before we had Spotify and YouTube and that incredible diversity, people really played the hell out of this album, basically. So that's that's not something we should forget.
0: They really, they really did. Um, According, this is just to like you know bit of stats here. Uh, According to the band's official autobiography, the album sold nearly 10 million units internationally within two years of its release. Mm. I don't know if you get that many sales these days. It's, it I don't
1: think that's possible. It's just made in a totally different way, isn't it? Really. But
0: even uh, you think because so I use Spotify for listening to music now, mm. when I'm not listening to records. <laughs> uh, and so, I don't know if that many people are going to sit down and listen to that album because, as you just said, there's so much choice now mm. that albums don't they don't have the impact that they used to.
1: No. And this is the thing, sitting down and listening to a whole album for me, as I did last night. I'd listened to this before, but I thought I'd listen to it all in one sitting last night. Um, even I don't do that, and I used to do that all the time, because you consume music in a different way. And it's not—it's certainly not all bad, but you do miss something from that.
0: I, well, I, you know, luckily, I have a job that allows me to listen to music. Mm. And quite honestly, if I didn't have that job, I don't know when I'd find the time or when I'd make time. Mm. To just sit there and l- listen to an album in its entirety.
1: And just to be clear to any new listeners, this is neither of our full-time job. Just no. to make that absolutely clear. No. And as you might guess from the standards of the uh, of the show. Um, well, well, I, well,
0: half of it's a very high standard.
1: I I would agree. So um, so uh, Kick maintained a presence on the Billboard's Top 200 Albums for well over a year. Uh, due in no small part to an aggressive singles campaign. You can tell this is where I'm reading off something that someone else has written. Uh, Need You Tonight, Devil Inside, New Sensation went on to numbers 1, 2 and 3 respectively. While Never Us Apart peaked at number 7. That's odd isn't it? That, that song was number 7 rather than a, this, a number 1.
0: I, I think this album, it didn't chart very well over here. At all. I don't know if I've got the... I'm sh- it, it was suspiciously low down the chart. Well, album, considering I've, how long it stayed in the chart yeah and i, I think thought it peaked at
1: 24 in the uk specifically i thought it only came to people's general awareness because of the dance remix of never Terror's... of of um needs Need tonight. tonight yeah um and apparently the uh, this is again we don't know very much about this album but apparently the uh, the record label absolutely loathed it they really didn't like it at all um so after the album was finished the manager chris murphy took it to atlantic um and the president, this is a quote, uh, the president put his feet up on the desk, closed his eyes for a minute. The record went on to the minute it finished. Murphy said basically that that when it stopped, the album, he said, I'll give you a million dollars to go and record another album. This is not happening. This is, well, for want of a better phrase, terrible. So it's another classic case of the the label not really understanding what makes good music or not being ready to take a risk on something that sounds as kind of raw and different and passionate as this is. And apparently this is quite a departure from some of the work that, that they've been doing before.
0: Yeah. I, I think uh, just speaking about me personally, really at the moment, I'm looking for something that's different. And I introduced you a few weeks ago to Billy Eilish shot, Eilish or however she pronounces it. Yeah. She's a 16 year old girl from California and she's, produced an album which doesn't really sound like anything I've ever heard. Yeah. Let's say 17 or 16 then. 16. She's 17. She was only 16 years out. Anything to get your Michael Caine impression out. <laughs>
1: and you're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. Mm. I mean, it's not improving that impression. I've heard it a million I, times. I just had to do it, you know. <laughs> um, but, but, yeah, but she's...
0: At seventeen. I, I just don't know how you can have such awareness of music, or maybe you just have such originality within you to to do that. But uh, her her album, um, I think it's called uh, "When You Bury a Friend" or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I really recommend that.
1: Where is this going? Where you started off on kind of you are just basically saying you want new and different stuff. It, it, this album sounds different. It, yeah, it, it sounds. Don't get me wrong. It sounds very very eighties. Yeah, but not in a but, dated way, I would say. No, but... Like, Rattle and Hum sounds very dated to me, <laughs> and I love U2, um, but this doesn't sound dated. It's 80s, but it doesn't sound bad.
0: No, but it's different, and I think that's that's what a lot of record labels don't understand. They want a success like The Beatles, or like Oasis, or yeah. like U2, but you don't... They Those albums wouldn't have been original or classic if they'd tried to copy other people yeah exactly. it's it's the artist that goes, no, this is this works and this is different. this is my sound. And only the artist
1: would know that. Hmm. and that's why I guess possibly one of the reasons why the albums called kick it's it's a big bold move. That will change stuff, you know. It's well, going to kick your doors down and, and say, "Listen to this."
0: If you watch any interview with Michael Hutchins about this album, anytime anybody says "kick," he does a really high kick in the air. No, he does not. He does, and it's... it's is this so... a little bit you doing? No, this is
1: this is real, and it's so stupid. What well, he roundhouses the interviewer to the face. I was
0: watching. I was watching one on the way here, and he and he just like does this high kick in the air, just in front of him. He doesn't kick anybody, but he just right. he does this high kick, and the... he can get his foot quite high, but. I'm sure, he can. It's just stupid, and I, and I, and when they're playing it live at
1: Wembley, he does this like scissor kick off the drum stage. <laughs> um, well, at least he's you know kind of he's being brand aware, and he's like, right, it's called <laughs> kick. I'm gonna do kicks a lot.
0: It's, it's just he doesn't seem exhausted by it. I'm exhausted by seeing it, but he doesn't seem exhausted by doing
1: it. Well, let's get into kick then. Come on, okay. uh, we're spending a bit of time on this, so. Now, as usual, let's run down the charts, let's fire up the top ten music, and let's hear what was actually in the charts at that particular time. So, tally, are you ready to run us down, please?
0: I am, yes. In at number ten this week, Causing a Commotion by Madonna. In at number nine, A Non-Mover, I Need Love by LL Cool J. Number eight this week, Some People by Cliff Richard. Oof. Number seven, This Corrosion by The Sisters of Mercy. In at number six... You Win Again by The Bee Gees. Number five, a big favourite of mine, Crockett's Theme by Jam Hammer. Yes, tune. In at number four, Never Gonna Give You Up by Rick Astley. <laughs> in at number three, Bad by Michael Jackson. I bet it was. Uh, in at number two, Full Metal Jacket by Abby L. Mead and
1: Nigel Goulding. And in at number one, Pump Up The Volume by M-A-R-R-S. Right. Well, obviously I'm less aware of many of those songs and it, it literally can't take me back to the time because I wasn't born when this happened. Yeah. Um That's, but, that's tr- actually we've been in the 21st century haven't we for the first yeah, two episodes. we got in the review two time machine and back we are. Um yeah, so um good to know what kind of songs were around. I mean, I'm still obviously aware of, m- of most of those songs to be honest. Um yeah, this was the uh, this was the musical landscape in which the album was coming out. Um so, yeah, should we get over to cake? Should we see what it's like?
0: Uh there's just one more thing that I want to do and it's uh, this kind of uh my wife uh she, uh, she didn't pack my uh my uh, my pencils. Um...
1: <laughs> detective pencils.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, um uh this feeds into the what's it got in common with with you two, Malarkey. Mm-hmm. Um, so the band is the second in a trilogy of albums produced by Chris Thomas, who was the original producer for
1: How Her- to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb. Yes, and he still, I think, was it just Yahweh that had his production yeah. that was mainly to do with him? Yeah, yeah. Now he has worked with everyone. He's
0: he's a veteran. He's worked with uh, the Beatles, Elton John, the Sex Pistols, Roxy Music. Uh, a uh, pulp uh, with common people, which you know, which is a huge hit in the nineties. So th- this is a guy who's had decades of success before he gets to work with Inxs,
1: and he's got a very like distinctive kind of you know rock pedigree. Like I think that's why you two got him into rock up the vibe, for want of a better phrase. You well, know? he was pretty much
0: George Martin's understudy, mm. which is why you know he was uh, mixing on the on the Beatles albums. Yeah, so he he was really trained by. One of the best, yeah. Um, so, so that was that's just another little link there to
1: you two for the review two fans that have been around for all, for well the last few years. Mm. And the only other one I guess would be um, the song that I was not even aware of. I've got to say to my complete shame, which is. The song Slide Away, which um Bono recorded vocals... Um, I, can't
0: believe, I just I just assumed that was something you, you'd know about.
1: Never heard about it. And if any other of you two uh, listeners are not aware of this, uh, Bono recorded the last... Uh, well, vocals on the last song on Michael Hutchins' posthumous album um on a song called Slide Away. And that is a dark and poignant song. And Bono's voice was in a very good place at that time. So um I'll be listening to that song again and again. Well, seeing as you didn't... Know about that tune? I think we all know who the biggest YouTube fan is. Are we going to judge it on that criteria? Yep. Just that song. Yeah. All right. Fine. I'll 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 give my crown to you. Okay. Here we go then. With uh, guns in the
0: sky. Bow bow.
1: Yeah. It's it's almost difficult to actually hear this without going. Bow bow. Guns in the
0: sky. Bow bow.
1: (laughs) And also, um, my first criticism is. I don't like the Ugh, uh, at the start. I think it's really silly. In fact,
0: can I just can I do mine and then I'll, and then I'll ask you
1: if you want. Go on.
0: Yeah. Okay. Right. So this is this is uh, one of the only songs on the album not written by Hutch and uh, Andrew Ferris,
1: isn't it? I thought all of them were written by. No, both this of them.
0: is just written by Hutch. Ah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so I think this is a weird one. Yeah. I think this is a strange track to start an album with. It's very, very 80s. Um, I don't see the logic of putting this song on the album. I think it would be better as a B-side.
1: Ooh, bloody hell. You've started
0: off very... Uh... Uh, yeah, very, you know, like antagonistic, I know. Um, In Excess fans but, will be shouting at their podcasting. But for you, apps. this is your first impression of In Excess. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. And every time I've been listening to this, I've, I've just found myself, like, thinking... I wish I could be a fly on the wall and watch Johnny <laughs> listen to this.
1: And like, how do you think my face looks when I hear this? I, I originally,
0: I think you're probably in a, in shock. And maybe like, what has Tyler signed me up for? I've got to get through an album of this stuff.
1: Well, if it was all like just grunting and percussion, then that would be a problem. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Um, it sounded just like him. Didn't it? Possibly. Yeah. Um, the thing is, right, I, I actually I do like this song. I think it makes sense that it was just Hutch that wrote it because it, it's simple. Now simple is not a bad thing because the, the, the guitar riff is basically one note all the way through. As I don't mean it's literally one note, it's like two or three at least. Um but it's very much just don't 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 and the thing is once you've listened to that quite a few times, you actually it becomes very catchy. And I like this song now. I would say I do like it. I I don't think it should be a B side. And I think it's not a weird opener to an album, it's a weird opener to this album, because the rest of this album doesn't really sound like this, and now I've got an explanation why. It was Hutch writing it, apparently. Oh yeah, it's written on my thing here, yeah, yeah, just Hutch. Um, so, yeah, it's an interesting opener. It's as weird an opener as... A- as, as Zoo Station, and it's got that very 80s, you know, like kind of hard-hitting percussion, which also sounds a bit like that. Although yeah. I know, yeah, obviously... I think it could, it could
0: get away with being early 90s. Or maybe the early 90s sounded like it did because of albums like
1: this. Well, songs like this. I think there's a lot of Acton Baby um, that owes a debt to this album or this sort of sound overall. One thing I kept coming back to, like,
0: uh, if you watch some live in-excess shows from the 80s... Uh, I can't help but think Bono would have been in a few of those audiences and wanted what they had, yeah, because the the shows seemed a bit more fun, a bit yes, more century, and you two shows can get intense,
1: yeah, and they were intense and that's before in... they bring Desmond Tutu out, so <laughs> yeah, um, I mean I think they probably did take a lot from this, and this has got a certain swagger about it, which is great. Um, also, a, uh, a criticism of of the Strategic Defence Initiative. Um, proposed by uh, Ronald Reagan. Now, the thing is, I wanted to learn about this, but I clicked on the wiki, and even the wiki is, like, enormous. So let's just agree that as it was done by Ronald Reagan and as it was done in the mid-'80s and as it basically had laser cannons in space, it was probably a stupid idea and was probably... (laughs) Like, a lot of people might not be agreeing with me on that. But it sounds like a stupid idea. It sounds like a Bond uh film yeah laser
0: cannons in the sky
1: yeah i mean this is like the kind of the 80s version of trump's like space force kind of thing you know (laughs) so it's such a rubbish name (laughs) so it's so it sounds like um a stupid idea it sounds expensive sounds needless and sounds very kind of like militaristic which is exactly what you'd expect from Ronald reagan and you know republicans in that particular era sorry if i've alienated any republicans not really that bothered. Um, so yeah, Guns in the Sky. I don't really have anything much more to say about this song apart from initially, yeah, it was a bit weird. Um, but I like it now um, and I I wouldn't take it off the album or make it a B-side.
0: I tired of it pretty quickly, if I'm honest.
1: I get rid of the grunts off the front.
0: Uh, well, um, I think the next song is a much better uh, Yeah. opener. So you
1: put this, you begin the album on new sensation? Yeah that makes sense to me it
0: really bring because it's it's a new sensation it's you know the, the oh. glue is in the name it's a new album uh that's about to take over the world and i think that would have in hindsight i reckon they would have put this uh, uh, new sensation first
1: mm, maybe um i think guns in the sky is a kind of clearing of the throat but this yeah probably would suit the album to begin on more um and this is, I mean, just to be a bit of a guitar nerd about this, this is a classic Stratocaster riff. It could only be played, in my opinion, on a Stratocaster. It's a bit Niall rogers almost a bit pridey. That main riff that goes all the way through it maybe a little bit dance as well. Um, but this song is a fun opener, I would say. Um, I mean, do you hear a little bit of a pridey sort of sound in it? No, I'm, I'll
0: be honest, this was... Uh, Guns in the Sky was verging on skip territory for me.
1: I'm talking about New Sensation now. Oh, already? All right. You've literally not listened to anything I said about the guitar riff. Who are you? <laughs> right. uh, go on. The guitar, guitar riff. riff. It's new Sensation. Yeah. I don't see Pride in there. Really? Yeah, no. What you did sounded just like Pride, but backwards then. It's not about the riff anyway. It's more to do with the um, the guitar tone on there. It's that, that really Stratocastery sort of sound. No, because um, Pride is more... Uh, what's the word? Minimalistic. Ding, ding, ding Yeah, not that bit, just the like look, pride ding 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 yeah, whereas this one is like that's quite a similar sort of sound. I don't see it. <laughs> Can you imagine someone listening to this and they have no
0: idea about either th- song? If they've either thong <laughs> That is not the
1: discussion we're having. If if you put Do you those... know in Australia they call yeah, yeah, sandals they... thongs? Yeah weird isn't it strange Uh, people have different names how different different our cultures are yeah and yet we're brought together by a love of in excess yeah (laughs) um yeah so good song but it's very carefree i don't see this as a anything but a fun song really but it's all it's all about the performance of it and the confidence in all the instruments you know the little breakdowns where you've got the kind of Bouncing off of the bass and the drums, and the bum, 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 you know, it's 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 a big song. It's fun and confident, so I like no, it.
0: No, it's it is a big song. It was uh, it was the third single. It was released on the thirty uh, first of March, nineteen eighty eight. So the album's been album's been out, coming at six months, something like that. It's three minutes and thirty nine seconds long. Um <laughs> why and are you telling
1: me so much just info about it? Tell me about what you feel about it.
0: Uh well it, it got to number three on Billboard, twenty-five in the UK.
1: Yep. Uh which is um again a bit disappointing. Do you think maybe the UK can't deal with this level of sort of optimism? And just fun. Like I don't
0: know, because it's it's stuck in the charts. I mean the album's stuck in the charts for that long. It's just all those people weren't buying it in the same week. Yeah. Which is why it never got too high. Uh, but I, I really, I, this really got me into the album, and I was, this is where the album
1: starts for me. It is a good song, and it, it's one of the songs that risks being overplayed. It's very samey, I'll say, as well. I mean, after you get to the sort of the third verse or whatever it is, and that riff has been played a lot of times, I will say I, I am sort of bored of this song now a little bit.
0: Um, and i'm not bored of other songs yeah, the, in this album. There, there are other more interesting songs but what i really like about it is it's really simple it's got that beautiful guitar part in it which isn't like pride it's a bit like pride uh, um i i, I struggle with this because it, i i think i just think it should be track one if this was track one i think I'd just, the album would get such a better kick start um but also when the saxophone comes in i just feel like there's this Completely, this the song is completed.
1: Right, good. I thought you were going to say this completely cheesy quality to it. Now, no, I I love saxophone. I had to fight against this because I am someone who like I don't generally like brass on on my records at all. But once I learned to embrace this a bit more, I think the sax is very good. Like initially, there's another song that I think before I got into it, I thought was ruined by a saxophone solo. I'll tell you which one that is later. <laughs> um You probably can guess. I um... but I like it now.
0: Well, the, the sax is played by Kirk Pengley, Peng, uh, Pengilly, Yep. And his daughter is currently starring in Neighbours as Chloe Brennan. She's absolutely gorgeous. Um,
1: irrelevant. Irrelevant to this album review. No, she is. She's absolutely gorgeous. She's a fun character. I'm not saying and she's not. I'm just saying, who cares about it, Neighbours?
0: Just, just, I, I, look, I enjoy Neighbours and just doing my research for this, do you this
1: stupid pod- Neighbours podcast you've always been threatening to do for years then.
0: Um. I, I would love to do a Neighbours podcast. Right, guys,
1: um, on Twitter, if you are in the slightest interested in Tyler doing a Neighbours podcast, <laughs> give them an indication on Twitter. Give Look, them table, in excess indication.
0: or Australian, this podcast should be a exercise in celebrating everything that's great about Australia. Yeah, Kylie Minogue. Who started in what?
1: Uh, Neighbours. Uh, that's true, yeah, don't she, Yeah, but she became good after that. She... Oh! Do you know that Scott and Charlene's wedding was one of the most watched TV events ever? Was that Jason Donovan being Scott? It was, yeah. I I guess I know more about it than I expected. However, you know, good neighbours, a good podcast does not necessarily make, so let's... let's... When
0: I was researching this, I was like, oh God, I know know his daughter. I'm a fan of him and his
1: daughter, and I didn't know the connection. (laughs) Fair enough. I suppose that's a little nugget for some people who might not have known about that. But I don't care about it, so let's get on to something else. Okay, so we'll go to track number three, Devil Inside, in uh, five minutes
0: and 14 seconds. This was the second single released on the 13th of February, 1988. It got to number two on Billboard and number
1: 47 in the UK. What were people doing in, 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 in 1988? They should have been going out buying this song because it's got an absolute humdinger of a riff. (laughs) <laughs> I love it. I love the riff. I love the production on this song as well. I, this is a song you can go back to. Just wait a sec. As a guitar nerd, uh, <laughs> Shush. Uh, as a guitar nerd, you can keep going back to this song me. and um, really, really, genuinely enjoy all the little subtleties of the production. It could only have been recorded on a Stratocaster like this. It's so good. Yeah, and and and
0: what I love about it is how close Hutch's voice is right to the microphone.
1: Well, that devil inside. Devil
0: inside, every single one of us. The devil inside.
1: Right. So it, it just speaks to you, doesn't it? <laughs> literally. Um, <laughs> he, he, that is something that I notice, and I think um, I'm not saying every album nowadays should try and go for that, but it's a technique that's very underused. That idea of very, very close to the microphone, yeah. husky, deep singing, and it can work as not even a major melody, as a counter melody, like in you know, when one of my kind. Oh God, it works well there. Um, but yeah. here it works beautifully.
0: I I really didn't think it was possible to be seduced by an album, but just I, just Hutch's voice, it just get, it gets inside you. It's weird. It's wonderful. Uh, it it was literally like he was just singing to me. Yeah,
1: and I think that's that's the idea of that being seduced by the by the album and by the song. Um, this was the first track that when I first started to listen to the album after we decided this would be the third episode, this was the one that really caught my attention. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm into this. I'm very into it. Mainly the production, but then obviously the melody takes over after a while and you start to be able to hum it. Um, the song is quite restrained for a while. You know, um, It's got quite low key and then it, and then it builds up, which is good. Um, and I think that kind of, for an album that's by a band called In Excess, it's good that they hold back a little bit, but then there is that, you know, building up to something. They they start at 17 goes well, You've go got to, that get driving
0: baseline all the way through. by yeah. Gary Gary Beers. Gary Gary Beers. Gary Gary Beers. That's the basis. Is that a
1: nickname? No, Gary Gary Beers. The most Australian name ever. Gary Gary Beers. Um, well, good. And I, I think this is something that say like I don't, don't want to like you know kind of dump on a whole genre, but something that death metal doesn't understand, which starts at two hundred percent and goes nowhere. Mm. This is quite restrained for a song called Devil Inside, but then um, it builds up a lot. And guess what U2 song this reminds me the most of? I'll narrow it down from Acton Baby. I have no
0: idea what you're going to say.
1: Well, for me, because this has got a strong Strat riff, and it's quite dark, and it's all about kind of like... Hell and devils and a devil inside and that other nature, that other side of you. The fly really like it, it is reminiscent of the of this song. Fair enough, I didn't I didn't see any you real see? likeness. Maybe in themes, yeah, in themes, but but also I think it's got that kind of like dark sound to it. And I'm obviously not saying um, that NXS got into a time machine and went and copied off the fly. I'm just saying. These two songs that, stand that out to me. That
0: would be a bit impossible.
1: No, it would be, yeah. Because um, they don't have the review to Time Machine that we have. Um, <laughs> if it was possible, I would go back and write all those Beatles records. <laughs> but it, if you're doing like a Back to the Future style sort of like version of history, then that might change history so much that you were never born. Mm, yeah, that would be a technical... Be like entry, fading maybe. from your Facebook profile. Um, not on Facebook, not Go. Oh, fair enough. Um, anyway, so Devil Inside, great song, um perfect way to actually get me interested in the album rather than just paying yeah. attention to it
0: it i think this has a quintessentially 80s sound not the last time I'll say that on this podcast um
1: i it, mean that's a whole album
0: um but it's the it's the vocal the way the vocals are recorded um it it really does funny things to me just how how close and intimate it, it sounds and um it, there's even really good live versions i'll keep referring back to the Wembley show that i've just recently seen mm. Um just really, apart from Guns in the Sky, I think um, that we've had a good start to the album with New Sensation and Devil Inside. Yeah, two out of three ain't bad. Thank you, Meatloaf. <laughs> on to track number four, which is Need You Tonight, three minutes, one second. Uh, this is the first single. It was released on the 23rd of September, Nineteen eighty-seven, number one on Billboard, number two UK. So, they're really making a name for themselves in the in the US instead of well, not, well, I, I suppose number two is respectable. It's good, but um, higher than any single I've ever released.
1: <laughs> Quite substantially, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it was this song that the UK seemed to take to, and this is the song that I've been aware of probably the most from In Excess I think
0: this is probably the most famous song yeah well
1: I, arguably well what, what I mean is I think if you were to go up to someone and go bang 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 ding and ding ding and ding that's one they'd be like yeah I get that riff I understand that wasn't
0: riff. it re-released re- by some hippity-hoppity guy about 2010 think, something like that it's been
1: an eminently remixable song and yeah it had some successful cover versions none are as successful as this i would say which is usually the case to be honest um very hypnotic very very sensual and again we come back to that idea of the closeness in the ears when you have the stereo of them singing you know one of my kind which is obviously very very um it's a sexy party song yes i'd agree with that it's time for a sexy party (laughs) You're getting your Stewie impression out. Not Please. even relevant anymore. <laughs> what? What's Stewie? Why Stewie not relevant? People don't listen to Family Guy anymore. That's, that's been and Don. What the juice?
0: <laughs> no one told me. Johnny?
1: Yeah, go on, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we continue reviewing the album? Brian! I'd, Brian! Yeah, I'd, I'd much rather continue reviewing the album than doing whatever this is. Um, so, in In official autobiography, story to story, Andrew Farris says that the famous riff to the song appeared suddenly in his head while waiting for a cab to go to the airport to fly to Hong Kong and he asked the cab driver to wait a couple of minutes while he grabbed something from his motel room. In fact, he went up to record the riff and came down an hour later with the tape to a very annoyed driver. So, um, that's how the song apparently came about and it didn't take long for him to present it to Hutch and they put the song together very very quickly. It's one of those magical possibly slightly embellished or mythical stories in rock history where you have the riff being created and then before you know it bang 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 the song is done and it seemed like it always existed
0: but i think like with a song like this uh so that first time hutch would have been listening to it it's something you can move to it's something you, you can dance hmm. to it a lot of the structure is already there you, you've just got to like write the lyrics that okay, what goes with this kind of movement?
1: It's it, So I think a lot of the work was already done for and it, Hutch. It's kind of a speaking song, isn't it? Rather than a, I'm going to sing a melody kind of song. It's, yeah. it's just speaking over it and having a particular mood. And the other thing is, this is a song that appeared quite late on in the album process. They needed a hit like this. And it's very dancey for them. Apparently they hadn't done many songs like this because it's not a straightforward rock song. You've got to have that repeated um the riffs in the background the dum dum, dum 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 that was looped and they used a lot of drum loops to get that hypnotic quality to the song that's
0: probably my biggest criticism of this album the drums really
1: they don't sound live enough for me mm, there there is a, a big kind of 80s drum sound to this like a kind of like dum ch dum, yeah it's very very processed it sounds like a very early electronic kit mm. if anyone wants to sample that by the way then I don't mind just give me the royalties eventually. Gee. <laughs> um but yeah I I've, I've got nothing but praise for this song.
0: Um Yeah, it's really I mean it's still the test of time, it still gets played. If anything it's too catchy. Adverts, you know, remixes, it it has it it, it still gets played all over the place. Um it's good. Yeah, it's
1: it's not the most interesting song on the album. No, no. But it's it's a good song. I'd say one of the things that you could say about this album so far is um, there's quite a lot of... Well, actually, I'll, I'll check myself on that because I was going to say there's quite a lot of surface surface, and not that much depth. But the thing is, the depth isn't in some sort of intellectual thing that you can spin out. It's in the way that they understand particular feelings, like being out at night in that kind of, you know, Devil May Curse of attitude and here, which is a completely sensual song.
0: I think Hutch is really good at Burbone lyrics, so, like, certainly is the song doesn't doesn't necessarily mean anything, but it can mean anything to anybody else. It's got a,
1: a feeling to it rather than a yeah an argument. Like you, you bring the meaning to the song. But this song is purely like it's a song about sexuality, isn't it? Though I mean, like, yes. I, I mean it that's is. pretty much all that it's about.
0: So slide over here Ugh. and give me a moment.
1: Yep, I've also thrown up. Your
0: moves are so raw, i got to let you know. Right, okay. Um, I am the next Michael Hutchins. (laughs) Well, I hope
1: not, because you won't be around for that long. Right, anyway. too soon, too soon. Um, Next track? Yeah, well, these songs flow into one another as well. Um, Yeah, Mediate. Two minutes 36 of pure eight kind of... um, Rhymes. Isn't it meditate? On certain on certain album pressings, it's mediate. On certain ones, it's meditate. I think it's meditate. I would say meditate is a better song f- name for it, but um, I think either can kind of work really. Um this, to me, I thought is, is it's a weird thing to experience. It feels very Bono-ish in its kind of you know Bono's you know elevation, revelation, jubilation, celebration kind of thing. So, it
0: reminds me of numb.
1: Yes, that's also another thing. Yeah, um, but again. Num reminds us of it, if you see what I mean, because yes. it precedes yeah, yeah, yeah. it by a long, a long way. That's us um, getting
0: to things the Doctor Who way around.
1: Yes. Um, I think this is a good song. I, I do like it. I think a lot of people... I read some reviews of this and said oh, it's just nonsense. I don't think it's nonsense. I think it's, I think it's good. Um, I don't think these are just arbitrary eight-rhyming words. I think they actually do fit together quite well. Um, also, when you hear this as just an instrumental, if you take off all the lyrics and just listen to it, I think it sounds really contemporary. And that, that's what I said. It's very weird sounding, but in a great way. The backing track is really,
0: really nice. Uh, it's, mm. There's a lot of interesting stuff going on. Um, Hutch doesn't need to be on this track for me, really. I don't. I don't. It's 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 just a list of rhyming words at the end of the day. If you want to be really critical, and I suppose I have been, uh, it's just a list of rhyming words. But that that the subtlety of the synth in the backing is. Mm. It's really, it's really beautiful, and I suppose that's something you don't get on a first-time listen. You've got to, you know, go go at it again and 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 keep
1: keep listening. Got to go at it (laughs) again. Um, yeah. So, for a um pop funk rock album, however you classify this, I don't know what the best way to classify it would be. Um, this album really benefits from headphones, and that you can't say that about a lot of albums in this particular vein. Um. You don't get the subtleties that you get on this track or in Devil Inside in the sort of the little guitar touches, you know, and, and you wouldn't get it from the fact that something like Need You Tonight sounds so good in stereo with proper headphones. So yeah, yeah it, this is this is a good song and I think it's a really worthy addition to the album. Yeah, is there, a, is there an instrumental like that? Did you find that? No, I didn't, but I just sort of listened to it and thought um, with it, Sean of lyrics, this would work really well. I, I
0: would really like that instrumental.
1: Well, if someone... Sorry, Hutch, but it's not... Well, If someone can send us a link to that, I mean, I bet there's a version out there somewhere. Yeah, probably. Um, What I was going to say is, this is on the album and should be on the album and adds to it because it's diverse. Next song, awful. Absolutely pointless. What? uh, Number six, The Love One. The Love One, yeah. And again, not by the band. Three minutes, 37. Yep. Uh, Not by the band, um... It's a song from 1966 and in 1966 this might have been interesting, but I'm sorry, this is utterly forgettable.
0: my first my first question was is this and hum?
1: <laughs> what is it, is it a I just had a very
0: and hum vibe, didn't it?
1: It's, well, it's it's unnecessary and there's half a good album in Rattlin Hum. Um so yeah, this should this instantly I would snip this off um and the loved one becomes quite ironic as a title, therefore because this is my most loathed one of the album so i'm sorry if i'm spoiling things but this is just pointless it's not even a good song i i got into it towards the end it it was mm. a bit ropey at first um but, yeah, who did you say wrote this ian klein jerry humphreys and rob lovett i imagine they were in a band um a, a band with a more you know kind of a better name like the i don't know the raspberries or something but um <laughs> I, I didn't bother doing much research because I just didn't like the song. Now this might have been a, a really treasured song by the band. I've not gone into that much depth, and there might be people who like in excess being like, "Oh, don't you know about the connection that you know the band had to this song or this band?" But I, I don't care. It's, it it really halts the album. And after a song like Meditate or Mediate, whichever way you're going to put it, I'd say once you've gone into that experimental it side, it was probably you want the last track on side one. Well, just get rid of it. Mm, fair enough. Um do you think that, that that song justifies its place in the
0: I album? I, I genuinely got into it I
1: it, d- it definitely didn't annoy me as much as some others Oh okay interesting uh, Right so um well then wildlife um also like just one more thing on the loved one like yeah,
0: go on. I think you've had quite a high energy
1: album so far Yeah exactly And at some point you are going to fatigue But that's what me- that's what meditate mediate is for hmm. that's more introspective That's true Yep, we're cutting it off. Out it goes. So, Wildlife. Three minutes, ten seconds. Yeah. Um, What do you think about this one?
0: Uh, it really reminded me of um, a track you sent me years ago uh, by OMD called Metroland, which in, in a weird way is like a take off of a Kraftwerk track,
1: isn't mm. it? Yeah, I just. Uh, it's actually got really driving bass and drums.
0: Um. It's it's the synth mainly that reminds me of OMD. I think that was maybe more so at the, at the beginning. Mm. Um, but this is music that creates movement. It's it's like we said with uh, what was it? Uh, Need you tonight? It it makes you move. It makes you you can't just sit still and, and listen to this. Um, yeah. It so you know sitting still to a lot of this album is pretty much impossible. It there's there's kind of there's a, the chaotic arrangement. That stop you, stop you from going into the lull. Well, this was this track.
1: well. I would agree with that because the songs or the the songs backing or the samples or however you describe it in the background are quite odd and to the point where the the verse came on for the first time. Listening on headphones, I I went to go and answer the door because I thought there'd been like a, a kind of like a knocking sound at the door. But then I realized it was on the track. There's some sort of like something in there that made me go and answer the door now maybe I'm just paranoid because I was wearing headphones and I thought oh there might be someone who needs to talk to me or something like that so maybe it's hyper aware Um, but that is it is a strange decision to have those samples in the background but what I will say is the drum and bass breakdowns in this song are fantastic, the rest of it is pretty standard I think it's a good song, I'd describe it as a really classic good deep album cut that you probably skip by the first time but then listening to it afterwards absolutely loved it but when the bass is kind of going like dum 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 like you know kind of the going all is around, so, so is not yeah, it? yeah, it's really strong on this, and the drums lock in with it so well. I so... agree
0: about headphones; it just different experience.
1: Yeah, entirely. And yeah, I think this could be a song that you miss, but it really recommends. I would really recommend going back to it because it just keeps giving. Well, this it, song.
0: It, it is the kind of album where you know you'll overlook
1: some tracks, and then you will come back to it and. Man, it just really hits
0: home how, how good some of this stuff is.
1: But I mean if it's sandwiched between Never Tear Us Apart and Um The Loved One. <laughs> Not the loved one. But you know, between the big hitters, it's between the bigger tracks on the on the album. You you couldn't Yeah, but it. It, it leads into them really well. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I I agree. Um but again, I don't have that much to say about the actual depth or intricacy about this, but it just seems like it's a song about the wildness of rock, you know? Yeah. I, again, it's like,
0: it's, but it's bourbon lyrics that, you know, you, he just to give you something to learn, you know, something quick L- lyrics that can lend themselves to many different situations or moods. Yeah like and when then he says you, you bring the 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 meaning to it yourself.
1: Yeah like when he when he's talking about you know when it's bad it isn't bad enough or mm-hmm. it ain't bad enough however he phrases it. Um I think that is something you could apply to different moods and say oh you know typical life you know even when it's bad it's not bad enough. I don't think he thing. gets
0: bogged down with telling a story he you know he, no. he puts he puts uh lyrics in there which sound cool sound sexy sings them in a very sexy way does a sexy dance Yeah. You know. <laughs> Oh, sexy.
1: Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Let's get you up from that reverie. Um, yeah. So, it's it's a good song in that in that respect, definitely. Um, and I I think we're in danger sometimes with with a band like an excessive really just focusing on Hutch. I mean, obviously, he and Faris are the principal songwriters of this whole album. Yeah.
0: And, but and that was new as well. Like that wasn't a thing. That with... was a
1: decision for this album, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um. And and they were basically given the reins to go off and, and write interesting new music which tends and, to be a good and decision. they really
1: hit the stride at this point. Yeah, although the record label were um, idiots at the start of it Um Okay, so yeah let's move on now to surely one of the most famous In Excess songs, possibly the most famous Never Tear Us Apart um, 3 minutes 05 but oh, oh, it, Who passes. Cares? it passes so quickly. Well that was an actual time to bring it up <laughs> <laughs> Um, arbitrary that does. That's that's surprisingly short, actually. Well, I would say it just flies by. There's like yeah, no time at all. Um,
0: this is one of the songs that um I decided to pick up, you know, the guitar and just play through. Yep. And it's just a really. It lends itself to so many different styles and and genres. It it can hmm. be played in any way. I think that's why it's been covered so so much. I think most recently a few years ago by Paulo faith Yeah.
1: I, yeah. I heard that.
0: Um. And I, I I imagine a lot of people younger people would have assumed it was her own song but it weren't
1: (laughs) no no of course not um there's always that danger i guess when you when you do do that kind of that cover version um i mean i originally thought mad world was by gary jill i had no idea about tears Fears. oh we need to do tears Fears. that's a band we should do yeah Right, good. That's on hold. Um, speaking um, of different versions of this, though... Okay, go on. Um, well, as I've not got that much info on this band, I may as well give you what bits I have called. Well, I was video. just going
0: to say that it's the fourth single released on the 8th of August, 1988, and it got to 24 in the UK and 7 on Billboard.
1: I'm, I'm amazed that I've stayed awake through all these all these facts. Um, so, the song turned out to be a far cry from its the original... The song, The song... The song turned out to be a far cry from its original... Uh, incarnation the earliest versions of it so um, originally it was more piano based it was more of a kind of rolling Stonesy 60s song and they changed it and came up with the idea let's put in the strings now obviously as chris thomas says that changed everything it was what the song deserved because in structure and lyrics it was already so strong already so this song is so good that if uh, brian eno produced it he'd be deleting it or, att- <laughs> or attempting to that's, that's, a, that's a good joke for review 2 fans or U2 fans in the know. Um, what Tyler's trying to say is it's a good song. Um, yeah, uh, it's fantastic. And those strings really do give it a certain sense of majesty, which takes it... I mean, it lifts this album beyond purely just being in the club and being, yeah, we have a wildlife full of rock and roll. Let's have fun.
0: Yeah, the, but the, the, this is, it's great. I mean, we're eight tracks in, and we've not yet had a track where hutch's voice the power of that voice has really been showing off yes and and
1: here it comes yeah and it, it's so good so so memorable what would be because i have a moment that i keep coming back to where hutch's voice is incredible um could you guess where that would be in this particular song is it
0: the never tear us apart
1: silence that bit's, boom, boom, boom. that bit's good although I I've only recently got used to that kind of like stop the song dead build it Is back it, up again.
0: We can live.
1: That one. Uh that's a good bit. I <laughs> your I don't even
0: know what it's impression like you're he's
1: doing. in the room. Yeah. Um no it's a bit where he says um we all have wings um and then he says, you know the why bit, you know. Like, yeah. And that, I mean, that's worse. But. I wanted to do it, and I won't. But, but his, I wanted to. That's that's the highest quality his voice has sounded on this album, and it's a, it's a really really good version. Um, I like the video as well a lot. I was I was sort of smug about the fact that I was like, is that is that Prague? And I was like, it is Prague. <laughs> I was very happy about that. Um, I don't know where I fall on the sax solo. Now I guess it's a big song. And it's got big emotions. So, I mean, if there's ever a place for a sax solo, it's here. I've heard it described as cathartic, that kind of that idea of a, of a huge release in the in the sax yeah, solo. So, I get that. So, yeah, his his, his it, it, I, I guess I, I am fine with the sax solo on this. Yeah, I mean,
0: and um, my my last bit of notes on on this is that it was covered by Tom Jones and Natalie Imbruglia, who we seem to keep mentioning because she was also in Neighbours, Australian mm-hmm. and. Um, uh, that was in 1999. Now, I've not heard that version, but...
1: I, <laughs> I can hear it in my head now. And I've I, I seem to be
0: being haunted by Natalie Imbruglia at the minute because I was watching the Sc- Scrubs the other day and Dr. Cox refers to Natalie Imbruglia as a one-hit wonder with her single, Torn.
1: And I don't know if she's still around and making music. Uh, she's very talented. I mean, I don't know Is any she... other songs... Talented enough to be around these days. I mean, Ed Sheeran's around everywhere. But she's so. not
0: really around. She's not like at the height of her fame.
1: Look, if I, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna just be obvious, like she had a, a hit single. She's very attractive and she's versatile. So Can why should we shouldn't play she a, a bit of that version? What now?
0: Yeah, because I've not heard it. And and Tom Jones is
1: kind of luring me in. Right. Let's listen to it, and then we'll come back after we listen to it and give our thoughts on it. Yeah. Why don't we just play a bit? I can't do that because Audacity is too too complicated for me to actually play it while we are on here. So we can do what I originally said and listen to it, then come back and go We've done it before where we just play music.
0: Just put YouTube on, it'll record it.
1: Mike will pick it up. It won't run through that mic though. It won't run through that sound output. Right, so we're still recording, so um, we're going to hear a really poor quality in the background version of Tom Jones's, um and Natalie Imbruglia's sorry, uh, version of this. So let's see what it's like. As Tyler just mentioned, it sounds a lot more like a Bond soundtrack than in excess. It also sounds a bit like Delilah as well. Not that's Natalie <laughs> oh, no, I didn't realise I thought it was Tom Jones <laughs> when do you think he's going to come in I I don't know but I can't wait oh I don't like how she changed the melody there I was oh he's there, here there he is you there. I mean, he's doing a better job I would say
0: He kind of bailed out of that, Jones, didn't
1: he? He's building up to something. Uh, for those of you who can't see, which is all of you, um, th- this is being intercut with scenes from um, Robin Hood Prince of Thieves. Inexplicable.
0: <laughs> that's a different film, that's Harrison Ford.
1: Oh, now it's... Um, Star Wars? No. I <laughs> from I mean, this is awful. <laughs> are we supposed to believe that
0: Natalie Brillier and Tom Jones are in love in this song?
1: Wait let's see how she does it. Oh, she nailed that, to be fair. Right, I've had enough of this. Yeah, I've had enough right. of that as well. Okay. She, she did nail the line that I was talking about, that Hutch um, is his best bit. Um, yeah, so, well, that was a treat, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> we refuse to play any good songs on on this podcast. Only, apart from
1: what was it? Was it Barbara Dixon that we played last time? Barbara Dixon. Yeah, is that who it was? <laughs> yeah. Well, there we go. Um, Atrocious. Right. Let's please move on to Mystify. Uh, Three minutes seventeen of pure gold, I would say. And I wrote down in my notes for listening to this. This album flies by, um, because apart from the loved one, uh, the loathed one. Uh, they're just real hits, and um, I could tell this song I was going to enjoy it as soon as I started listening to it. It's it's really good, yeah. Um, it really, even even though I do, I wouldn't like that, I don't usually like that sort of band sort of like style of like ding 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 kind of like you know piano, you know whiskey bar kind of feel. But it's great. It works for this.
0: Yeah, it's um, it's really good. Uh, this was the fifth single released March fifteenth. Five singles, well, wow. I know. Uh, nineteen eighty nine. So eighteen months after the album came out, uh, uh, fourteen on the UK chart and seventeen on Billboard. Um, uh, what I really like about this song is the relationship between the piano and the guitar and the yeah. the switching in and out and uh, the the me-
1: that melody is it will just stay in your head for <laughs> a very very long time. Well, it's very strong, but it's quite subtle, isn't it? Yeah, that's why the first time he sings "Mystify." You know exactly, and Bono has this quality as well, I don't just want to keep comparing going back to Bono, but the first time I heard this song, and I heard him say Mystify, I was like, oh, that's the way the melody's going to go. And a strong melody will have that, a a really strongly put together chorus will have that inevitability about the sound of it. So this was
0: fantastic. It's crafted so interestingly. There's a nice, well, it's not a real stop, not a, a real rock and roll pause, but there's a bit of a pause just after the chorus each time mm. and it, it just adds something maybe it's anticipation I don't know but it just it just makes you feel it a little bit more yeah um, I, I mean I, I love this song so much that I, I felt like I'd be I was being seduced all the way through the album and I, I suppose this point is is climax for me <laughs> uh, it was um, just, just one of the best songs on the album, and something, one of the tracks that I keep going back to, like every, every yeah. day like, I'll listen to this. Track. And
1: I knew that when I looked at the best of on Spotify and Excess, like this song had to be on the... Oh yeah. And um, it's and we've not talked much about the lyrics because we've said this isn't a song, that, uh, an album that has the most sort of in depth lyrics. I guess to be honest, Uh Never Tear Us Apart has, has got the most sort of plaintive and affecting and melancholy lyrics and. Something we didn't mention is is that was a song that Hutch was actually, um, you know, it was a song that was played at his funeral. Um, So that's a song that has such big emotion built into it that you could apply it in so many different situations. Anything, whether it's a separation or a leaving. Um, But back to this, I think there's one line that I really liked where he's talking about. um, All those stars that shine upon you will kiss you every night. Now, yeah, that that could sound a bit sugary, but in this song, it, it sounds brilliant. And it's about... I got that there was an idea in this song, and it's about the idea of beauty being able to mystify you just to be able to make you not sure about something, not just in a lusty way, which is probably the rest of no, it. No, like... the
0: way he even sings uh, mystify, it sounds magical. It, yeah. It's like a spell being cast over you. Exactly. It's, um... it's a good one, isn't it? Uh, I, I just, every time I would talk about this track, I just want to listen to it. I yeah. just want to go back and listen to it, which is a great power for a song to have, Like to just mm. think about a song. It makes you want to listen to it.
1: And I think one of the strongest things I can say about this is the guitarists are having a really great time in the verses. Now, normally, I hate absolutely... The Farris Brothers. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, well they... two of them. One's on drums. <laughs> well, they're having a good time, the, the guitarists, in this in this song. Normally, I'd say I would go more for Edge's philosophy of economy. And if you can get away with playing three notes in a verse... And they are the perfectly chosen notes, and do that. But here, they're just having a great time. But it doesn't get in the way of what Hutch is doing. It adds to it really well. And then in the chorus, they step back. They don't play stupid like songs over that. It's, it's all about considering Hutch how them.
0: many members there are in the band. They do play well together. Yeah,
1: they take turns, which yeah. is something that by your sixth album, you should definitely have learned to do. Yeah, it's, so, yeah.
0: It's so it's so impressive. There, there aren't that many bands around with six members and the ones that that do normally you know people like to take the mic don't they like to lay into to bands with with more than four members i don't understand it really if, if the, they overplay then yeah if well if he, if each member's doing his shift and then, then that's
1: fine with me arcade fire one of my favorite bands and there's 104 of those although i will say occasionally I don't think I would miss the um, someone rattling on top of a motorcycle crash helmet sound out of a live performance. I think if you lost that, probably not going to notice. But you'd rather have it than not, wouldn't you? Yeah, for the visual spectacle, yeah. definitely, yeah. And there are bands that have got, um, you know, the same-ish amount of members that I think it really benefits. I mean, the Hives have got five or six members, and they're fantastic. Ramstein, six members, every single person crucial. Iron Maiden, six members, great band. The argument band. falls down, there, but, you know. I'm joshing. I'm joshing. Maybe we'll get to Iron Maiden at some point. Oh, soon. you're
0: going to eat your words when I make you review one, aren't you?
1: <laughs> eat three guitars right down my right down my throat. Uh, all playing the same riff. Right. Uh, so, kick. Something Tyler might want to do for me. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> I honestly hate you. Kick. Um, I didn't know um, Robbie Williams was a member of Inexcess. Go on come on come on come on come on the, the, Robbie Williams as far as I can as I can see owes all of in excess a lot of money Th- listen to right I mean we've done this with Tom Jones let's listen <laughs> to the start of this right T- tell me this isn't just um the start of um you know what's that song I'm a burning effigy um let me entertain you right. This sounds a lot like Let Me Insane You.
0: Come on come on come on come, right. on, come on, come on, come on. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on, come on, come on, come on. just
1: spoken over him doing that? <laughs> right. Let's just go back to Huch, right? That's pure... I ac- think Robbie's better. I'm not saying Robbie Williams didn't make that more... Commercially palatable, but do you not think that sounds really similar to it? Uh, it does, yeah. But, but obviously, like um, Robbie
0: R- Robbie Williams is is going to magpie everything, isn't he? He yeah. he was Robbie Williams is really good for it for a spell.
1: Well, all I can say is I'm glad that Chris Martin didn't hear about this song because he would have taken it as well. <laughs> magpie Martin, yeah. Um, this has got a huge sound to it. Um, it's the best sax song of the bunch. I think this is where the sax is actually used absolutely the best all the way through the one thing i will say though is you've got that i mean that intro is also the chorus yeah um and it's got that like, huge sound and i really like the whole like that fits with kicks it's really in your face but the verses are very different and they seem to yeah there's a real grinding of gears between the buh, 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 yeah buh, this buh, buh, this, this one
0: took the wind out of sails um and uh, then again when i when i first like listened to it i, I I began to get like flashbacks of all these different adverts that this song had been used on. I've never heard this song before in my life. I mean, all I- oh, right, yeah. Well, I've heard it. Um, <laughs> the, the, the drums are way, way too tinny in this. Really, uh, to a distracting point. Mm. And I don't know if it was just me being fatigued, like I, say, I said earlier. But the song, it just it doesn't hit me the way I, I think it should. It's almost as if I'm trying to convince myself to like it because it's that epic sound you like i should be in the mood for a party but it doesn't really get me though it could be fatigue but i I wasn't i wasn't enjoying it at this
1: point i i think purely for me it's that disconnect between the verse and the chorus and i i don't i think that is what slows it down and i think
0: Originally, I, I, I thought it was called Kill. Like, I, I, well, I didn't think it was called Kill, but I thought the lyric was Someti- sometimes you kill, sometimes you get killed. <laughs> I mean... Because he, he's, he's not very good at pronouncing that kick thing. Uh, the, 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 the CK at the end, he, he gets halfway
1: through the word and then gives up. Th- this would be one of the songs Sometimes that I... you get Sometimes you get killed. Yeah, but he's, he's a rock star. He doesn't have to pronounce everything with perfect diction, does he? I mean... <laughs> well, I'd like him to. I think that this song would be one that, if I was around at the time, I'd listen to the album and think, oh yeah, I'm vaguely aware of that song. But then when I went to watch them live, I'd be like, wow, that's a good song. I think it it depends on that energy. Um, and I think that's where it would probably come alive. Um, I like the song, but at this point, my criticism of the album has started to be that we've had a lot of let's party, big, big rock sort of sounds and... Maybe I'm wanting something more like another song that is more quiet and meditative, like meditate or mediate, or something that's a bit more soulful, like Never Tear Us Apart. So, I don't know. At this point in the album, I'm or, not or really or a cover in it. like the love one. Well, that could just be completely cut. Um, do you have anything more to say on kick? Um, I, I think
0: the the real victor in this song is um, it, Hutch again, showing us those rock vocal skills. Yeah. I, I think like, there's a different dimension to his voice in in this song and that's the biggest the most
1: positive takeaway I I, I, I get from that. Fair enough. Um what I just said about this song kick. also applies to the next one, um, Calling All Nations because at this time of the album, I don't think lyrics like sort of come on down to the party of what are required really. I think at this point in an album you need to be hitting a different note. And this is maybe something that separates Kick from being a great album from being just a really solid mm. album and it is very very solid it doesn't overstate its welcome though kick at 3 minutes 14 no it doesn't and neither does this one at 3 minutes 2 but a double whammy of big kind of um, big rocky sort of songs
0: I had more of a reaction to calling all nations
1: what was the reaction um hives <laughs>
0: no I mean I, I was looking at the, the lyrics quite intently and I didn't know which ones to bring forward. These were the lyrics and I I don't know if I'm trying to find the meaning or the the message behind the song but the the lyrics that I took were take the chains from your mind, take the chains from your feet, do the sex dance because
1: it's necessary. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I don't imagine anyone's got those lyrics tattooed on them for being absolutely meaningful, you know. The necessary sex dance. I like it. He's very persuasive, isn't he? And yeah, um, He could talk a lamppost into bed. Yeah, fair enough. Um, if that's what he's calling All Nations about, then I don't know who's picking up the call. Um, yeah, I, I thought you'd like the little guitar parts in this, stuff. All the way through this album, I have absolutely loved the guitar parts, and I think maybe that's something... Which song um, did you find yourself picking up the guitar to play? Um, certainly, Devil Inside—that's the one that I would want to learn the main riff of. Mm. I'm not—I'm not a very intricate guitarist. i, I do very simple no, stuff. I've heard you play. Yeah, yeah. Um, but i so, but I like very, very solid, catchy riffs that are repetitive. So this is why I like the fly. This is why I like Devil Inside. It's—I can play that easily, and it's—I get maximum enjoyment out of with minimum effort. So that's exactly what yeah. I want. Um, but all the way through this, I've been enjoying the. Um, very much a rhythm guitarist then. Possibly so. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've been enjoying... I, I'm someone who plays a Gibson Explorer as well and that's the tone... <laughs> that's, that's the tone that I like. Yeah, it's too good a guitar for me. We all know that. Oh, look at me. I've got an expensive guitar. You've got a Stratocaster that costs about the same. And a Gretsch. And a Gretsch, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, anyway... I'm not bragging about it, though. I'm not bragging about it. What I'm saying is, if you let me get to my ruddy point, <laughs> is is that I'm used to the sound of a guitar that makes a particular sort of humbucker sort of sound Mm. it's double pickups all the time um whereas strat that single coil sound i don't really get very much um but when i listen to a real strat album like this or when i listen to stevie ray Vaughan, who's a very stratocaster focused player um i i just i like it It's, it's like oh i've not i've not had that for a while it's like someone who just cooks italian food and then suddenly they have a bit of sushi and it's totally different and you think i've been missing that and it's really nice so, um yeah. bit I, of variety. Yeah, I like that all the way through. So um th- I've enjoyed that all the way through this album and the way that they've been doing things. Um and the thing that is missing from these two songs, Kick has got a real power to it. Colin All Nations have kind of met about, to be honest. Um the thing that's missing is a little bit of a suggestion of a bit of depth and a bit of subtlety that has been lacking, and that comes through on tiny daggers. Now I don't know if you want to go through with to talk about the song straight away, but that's a song that I really oh, we, we can
0: do track 12, the final track, uh, in at three minutes, 29, um, is tiny daggers. Not to be confused with Elton John's song. No, but there have been a lot of tiny Dancers. Yep, yeah, Uh, <laughs> there have been a lot of different instances on this album where, where uh, m- mainly when I was listening to it, I was thinking, Oh my God, this is so eighties this is so eighties. Uh, but in so many different ways, like so many different sounds, it's not... It, wh- when I've been coming back to it, it, goes, oh, that sounds 80s. It's always been a different kind of sound. Mm. But it, 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 saying that something sounds 80s is to undermine it because there were so many different sounds going around. And this in particular reminded me of The Cure, which have a very distinctive sound.
1: Very 80s, but very distinctive. But also that that idea of the the label of the eighties, obviously, it's reductive and simplistic. And yeah, I think more than any other decades, it gets an unfair rap. The eighties as just being cheesy know, and poppy. Yeah, and one particular it, thing. Yeah. yeah, and like there's so, so many, many great songs, and albums and, yeah. in the eighties. Uh, and this is this is cheesy pop, but it's good cheesy pop. I think it's more delicate than cheesy. I mean, it's got a, a very synthesizery sort of vibe to it. That do 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 do. It's, it's, it sounds cheesy, and yeah, in the wrong hands, that could be like the theme tune to a really bad '80s sitcom or drama series or soap. But here, I think this is the subtlety that I've been looking for all the rest on the album. And for in excess, it's very subdued. Um, they live up to their name on this album. They are excessive a lot of the way through it. Yeah. Um, but I, th- I think this is where they've really gone for it. In like you know. So you've just had
0: your breakthrough album, and then this is the follow-up. This is the thing. You do. do you do you put yourself under a lot of stress and go? No, we need a hit. We need a hit. Or do you go away and you you do something that you're really happy with? And uh, an interview I saw with Michael Hutchins where he also did a kick. Um, he always on brand. He was saying that they wanted they felt more freedom now because mm. they'd already been accepted with the previous album that no they could really go away and put together an album that they really liked um, yeah. and they wanted to experiment they wanted to do uh, have a lot of different sounds which they do this album is all over the place it, very it few is. songs sound the same
1: it is but i'd also say that the most experimental they sound in a i don't know i mean i guess experimental changes depend on who you are but um I would say is mediate or meditate. That's the one that sounds like the strangest and the most odd and most standy out. Yeah, and the rest are pretty much. Each song has its own identity though on this album. Yeah, it does. But I'd also say the reason why they said right Hutch, Faris, we're writing, and that's the thing, is because they know how to write solid songs. You know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus. The first time you're hearing a song like Mystify, you're humming it. Well, uh, uh, Michael
0: Hutchins knows how to get the song over to the audience.
1: Yes. Uh, and crafted craft a melody really well,
0: yeah. So, it, it, I think that I think that's what I think. What I like about this album, though, more so than anything, is is Michael Hutchins being that rock star that's selling the music to the audience. Yeah, and he's got me hook, line, and sinker. I I completely buy into
1: hutch, line, and sinker, if you will. Great. I
0: I I think that he really. He gets me right from the start and it, it's just something... I, it's something. It's an album I want to buy into. It's an idea and an image that I want to buy into. And I imagine that was how it was in, in the 80s. Oh,
1: yeah. I bet there were a million people who instantly went out and bought a leather jacket based off this album. Yeah. Or started doing kick flips, as you can see on the front of the uh, Kick 30 remastered copy. That's one thing I will say. The album cover is awful. Um, yeah, it's not great.
0: Yeah. Um, it looks like the opening... Uh, image of a tv show or something you yeah, know not, before it slides away and they're there in the studio audience not a very
1: good one um who put those tiny daggers in your heart that is the line that i'm going to take away from this whole album as that's the bit of poetry that i really like about this and we've not talked about the lyrics very much and there'll probably be in excess fans who've listened to this thinking these guys don't get down into the depth maybe the depth is there but i think we've it's not, it's not as easy to do that with this album as it is with other albums. But I really like that idea of tiny daggers in your heart, that that idea of something that someone somewhere has poisoned you in some sort of way. And it's not like they've run you through and destroyed your whole life. They've just given you this little meanness to you that could be taken away. And for such a happy, upbeat song that's quite delicate and nice, it's about someone who... Has got a, a fundamentally wrong way of looking at things. That something about them is is mean and cruel. It's in, it's interesting
0: because I'm sure, um, like I have, you've broken bones or had big injuries in the past. Oh yeah, And that don't hurt, and then you you'll get a paper cut or you'll you know you lose a bit of nail, mm. and it will hurt for an eternity. Mm. And and so like that tiny dagger image is you know these tiny little cuts in someone's heart.
1: Yeah, the things that actually. Will actually affect you properly, like yeah. rather than the big, the big kind of stuff, and it's that everyday meanness that I think is—it's it's an interesting way to leave an album, and it really doesn't sync with the um, the upbeat quality of the song, apart from maybe the Hochi saying, "Look, let's just be carefree and nice and let these things go." So I, I love, I love that as a song, and this is a song I'll be returning to. There's about four or five from a, a band that I don't really know very much about. There are four or five songs on this album that I'm going to really come back to in absolute crackers. Yeah. So. Again, I, I, this isn't a foregone conclusion. It sounds like you know, the positive. has only
0: just started his In Excess journey. Yeah,
1: a bit like... I'm a little further along. It's a bit like how last week you were like, you didn't really know Invisible Band, even though you owned it, you didn't know it very well. Yeah. And you really like it. And it might have started you listening to Travis. I know I'm going to go and listen to more In Excess. Mm. But just I want to say for the rest of this series, there's no foregone conclusions here. I'm going to bring stuff to Tyler that I imagine he's going to loathe. And that'll be interesting for the podcast. And I, so, I know that I'll be bringing stuff to you that you will loathe. So, I look forward to it, and I, 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 I'm ready to be challenged by stuff that I've not heard before.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you sit down and listen to an album you hate, mm-hmm. your opinion can only improve. Yeah,
1: from that point. And also, an album, that... and we don't hate any of the albums. We're sitting down to review so far well that'd be pointless too, is doing something we absolutely hate but i think it also makes for interesting listen to have something that you really like and i don't like or vice versa and maybe we'll have some views challenged, some you know some opinions smashed so johnny what is your favorite track um going into this i would have probably said uh never Tear us apart however after properly you know have, living this album for a few weeks A week longer actually, because we were meant to do this last week. So I think we benefited by doing that um, for my poor scheduling. Um, Mystify would be the one that would take away. um, I
0: really wanted to say Mystify. I wanted to say Devil Inside. There was a few best riff Devil Inside. But I always want to, you know, go for for the one that's you know most immediately in my mind when I think of a favorite track. And this week, uh, Tiny Daggers got it.
1: Oh, nice one. Yeah, that was a top contender for me.
0: Um, My least favorite is Meditate really yeah even the instrument it's just a list I like the I, I like the um, I like the the instrumental. instrumental but
1: you'd genuinely rather that go off the album than the loved one yeah I enjoyed it well I my it. the worst one is the loved one for me um so that's our um our hit and our dross or whatever the hell we called it last week well we covered most of this earlier
0: uh, how, how the album did um, Critically and, and commercially, uh, it 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 sold. It sold nearly twenty million copies worldwide by two thousand and twelve. I'm assuming it's over that now. If mm. it's not, it bloody should be. Go out and buy it.
1: They certainly showed Atlantic who was actually right at the end of the day. The record label who didn't like it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who said we will give you a million pounds to go away <laughs> to and not release this. it? Yeah. Who, that- who was running that company? Brian Eno. Um, um, well, I can tell you who was running the company. It was Atlantic Records president Doug Morris. So don't we go at Eno. Uh, in Canada, Kick is the
0: second album by uh, an Australian artist to receive the Diamond accreditation; the first being ACDC's Back in Black. Fair enough. So um, I, I know re- which
1: I prefer. In excess.
0: Good. Uh, Kick remains the band's best-selling album in the UK, having gone three times platinum in 1989 with over over 1 million units sold. So, there you go. Right, yeah. It's well. uh, it did, you know, really well in Australia, New Zealand as you, as you would imagine. Uh America is the real victory there, because that's what they they really wanted. This really did cement in excess as one of the big bands in in music.
1: Yeah, and I'm glad we've really focused on the positivity of this album rather than getting into just lurid details about. Oh, about oh, much. it is it is a
0: positive album. Like if you if if maybe you've not listened to this album in years, go back and I I've really enjoyed just dipping in and out of this album. Yeah, it's a fun album to
1: to have. And if you're someone like me who never properly listened to this album end to end or any NXS album end to end, and for some reason you've just I don't know, you just enjoy listening to me entirely ramble on about stuff, do take the time to to give it a proper spin. Um, I guess it goes for any of the albums in this series. And on that note, any albums you think we should cover on Tummel, uh, that you think, well, I'm a big U2 fan and I really like this, even if you think it's a bit off the wall or a bit weird, then let us know because eventually we could get to it.
0: The links to U2 are going to get less and less, I would imagine.
1: One time, Bono brought a bagel from the same stand as Till Liederman from Ramstein. <laughs> so this week, we'll be doing... <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty much how i how i see this going um
0: johnny is are there any um uh, new albums artists music that you've been listening to recently that you'd like to recommend
1: uh Ramstein just released their first album in about a decade um which is untitled but i'm still making my mind upon it i really enjoy the first few singles off it but they are not without controversy so um I, that's what i've been enjoying recently yeah
0: uh, I'm loving the new uh, Norgaga stuff, which is very disco-y, very... Well, Those high effing bees. Yeah, um,
1: new album coming out soon, and uh, I think it's very David Bowie influenced. And rumour has it he'll be supporting you 2 when they apparently do the Australasian leg of the tour. Yeah. Fingers crossed for, um, well, for the Aussies, who maybe will have some Aussies listening to this episode because of InXS. Um, so th- there we go. Uh, I would like to recommend Billy
0: Eilish or Eilish. It's E I L I S H, I think. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's another L in there. I'm not sure. Um, but uh, she's she's 17 years old from California and she's really cool, really interesting new sound. Um, love
1: it. Yeah, I enjoyed what you showed me.
0: Uh, so, so there we there go. We it, That's yeah. it for another week. Uh, next
1: week we're going to stick with uh, a contemporary of you two. Uh, should we spoil it or should we make them wait? I think it's better to make people wait. Also, it means if we change our mind, it doesn't matter. Fair enough.
0: Hurrah. So, so
1: there we go. That was Review 2's Tummel, or
0: Then You Might Like. I uh, Hope you join us again next week when we'll be reviewing another album from U2's contemporaries.
1: Yeah, leave us an iTunes review because we've not had one of those in a while and I do enjoy reading them and wallowing in our own self-congratulatory moods. So yeah, do that please, if you've enjoyed this. See you soon. See you, bye.
0: Hey thanks for listening to the show if you'd like to get in touch please contact us on facebook.com forward slash review to you, or on soundcloud.com forward slash review2 or search for the review2 podcast on itunes you can also email us at review2contact gmail.com please like comment and subscribe thank you